Welcome to the Lewis Jonker Podcast. Lewis is a speaker, storyteller, preacher and poet. Hope you get something out of this talk. On the 10th of May in 1940, the Nazis invaded Netherlands. My pop, my family is Dutch heritage. When the Nazis invaded the Netherlands, my pop was actually four years old. He and his family, they ran a local pub in the Netherlands. And uh, even to this day, he finds it very hard to, to think of, to, to forgive this idea of, you know, Nazi Germany. And he still, you still see him prick up when things like Germans are talked about. It's sort of interesting because my father did marry someone of German heritage. So it's kind of interesting. But my pop was four years old. Over the next two years, while the Nazis were in the Netherlands, the laws tightened. And obviously the Jews were pushed out to the edges so they would uh, send call-ups to go to uh, labour camps, which was, you know, that's in quotation marks because they weren't really labour camps and people were getting quite suspicious. And in 1942, eight people went into hiding in the annex of a local business. One of them, my pop, so my pop is at this point six years old, but one of these people that went into hiding at this same time as my pop's growing up in the Netherlands, eight years old, one of the people that went into hiding was Anne Frank, who was 13 years old. For two years, they lived in this confined annex, eight people. You can imagine, you wouldn't want to be claustrophobic. You can imagine how dark it was. You can imagine how scary that time was being. You constantly have um, uh, Nazi Germany soldiers coming around, checking buildings, making sure no one's hiding. You constantly lived in fear. And they lived that way for two years, eight people, until two years later, they were discovered. And when they were discovered, they were shipped off to concentration camps. While in a concentration camp, very shortly after, Anne Frank sadly passed away. Because the concentration camps were wet and damp, she contracted a disease called typhus, and very quickly, because of exhaustion, she passed away. And Anne Frank kept a diary during all this period. She kept a diary during her time in captivity. She kept a diary through these two years and through all the hardships, everything evil going on. And in her diary, she wrote this quote. Those who have courage and faith shall never perish in misery. You can imagine hiding in an annex of a building confined, trapped, hearing stories about the awful things happening to your people, and despite all that, writing the words in your diary, those who have courage and faith shall never perish in misery. Perhaps Anne Frank did perish, but because of her faith, she did not perish in misery. There's some other quotes. Martin Luther King writes about faith. Faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. Then we have C.S. Lewis. He writes, Faith is the art of holding on to things in spite of your changing moods. And another quote, George Michael writes, Yes, I gotta have faith. Oh, I gotta have faith. Because I gotta have faith, faith, faith. I gotta have faith, 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 baby. <laughs> it would seem that faith is important and faith is essential. Everyone's, I don't know how many times I've scrolled through Facebook or Instagram and you see inspirational quotes 
And I don't know how many times the word faith is in those inspirational quotes. It seems that everyone's talking about faith, both the secular world and the sacred world. It seems we're always constantly talking about faith. It seems that faith is not only essential for walking into 2020, but faith is also essential for our salvation and for our eternity. I often talk about one day if I get a tattoo, I grew up, um, I always find this, I've said this a million times, grew up in a Lutheran church and we have five solas in the Lutheran church and one of these solas, which means onlys, one of these important parts of, of our faith and certainly my faith and I, I would get it tattooed on my arm if I could, one of the solas is sola fide. Now, if we go to this slide, so sola fide means by faith alone. I know that the importance of faith in my Christian walk is so important because I know that it's by faith alone that I'm saved. It's by my belief in God and my belief in Jesus that I'm saved. Of course, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And this would be a very theological, and I could go into the theological sermon about how we are saved by faith alone and why we are saved by faith alone. But as I continued to read more and more scriptures about faith, I saw more and more ways that the word faith is used. So we have this eternal faith, this faith that essentially brings us to salvation, our faith in Jesus Christ. But there's also another type of faith that's talked about that is like a, a, a divine persuasion. This word faith, it's used 200 and 39 times in the New Testament alone. That's how many times the word faith is used. And the word faith means this in the Greek in the New Testament. Faith is the word pistis. So when you read that in the Bible, in the Greek, it's the word pistis. And this word pistis comes from the word pitho. <laughs> pitho. Nathan Seals shrugging his shoulders, so I guess it doesn't matter. I should have just said it with confidence and no one would have known the wiser. And this word means persuasion. So I was reading through Strong's Concordance and I was looking at the definition of faith and what this means in the Greek. And what they're saying that this word faith means is it's not just a persuasion that, you know, you, a salesman comes to your door and persuades you to buy something, but this is a divine persuasion, an unquestionable persuasion, a persuasion that comes from God himself. I truly believe that when we come to Christ and God gives us the gift of his grace, our ability is sort of my thinking and there's lots of different thinking, but, um, but it is through this faith, this divine persuasion that we're saved and this faith is almost a gift from God himself when we have this faith. It's like he, empower, he gives us this gift of faith that we might even be, be revealed the goodness of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Because this faith isn't just, it isn't like we're here one day, gone the next. This faith is divine. There's something, there's something unquestionable about it. Faith is also interesting because it talks about a spiritual gift of faith. I am probably the most, one of the most pessimistic people in the world, very melancholy, when I do my, you know, when I do my Myers-Briggs and I do my, um, you know, personality test or I look at the four different personality types and I figure out which one I am, every time I look at the personality I get, I'm like, oh, why did I get the worst one? <laughs> you know, the, the one who's always questioning everything, the one who's melancholy, the one who's pessimistic. But I tell you what, when it comes to the things of God and His church and His kingdom, I've got some divine, I've got some divine faith about that stuff. 
I genuinely believe that this church is called to make an impact in the world and make an impact for the kingdom of God because I have a, I have a divine persuasion that that is the truth. I genuinely believe that our youth ministry will set young people free from their bondage because I have a divine persuasion from God that that's going to happen. When I think about our services here, our morning service, our night service, I see, I see a good future, I see a good hope, and I'm divinely persuaded. When I think about the goodness of my God, even when I break my hand and I do all this sorts of stuff and all the bad stuff that we all go through, and maybe you've been through worse stuff than me, but even when I get through the hardest time, when I'm through the hardest I've got this divine persuasion that God is good. Potentially, I have a gift of faith, as some of us do. And uh, as I come up here and I do this sermon, and I'm not going to be able to completely unpack the word faith because it's used 239 times, and sometimes it's used in different contexts. But certainly, I can get up here, and I can talk about something I'm passionate about. I can talk about the God I'm divinely persuaded in, and maybe you will catch something from that. And uh, I hope that's what happens in this sermon. So, this word faith is quite interesting. The psalm writers had this sort of divine persuasion. Psalm 100 is what we've been looking at. Psalm 100. We don't know the author of Psalm 100. Tradition would say it was da- it's David. Uh, in saying that, though, some other traditions say it was Moses. So, pick your man. If Moses wrote it, part of Moses' journey was murdering someone and burying him in the dirt and running away from his family and living in the wilderness, pretty hard stuff. If you think David wrote it, part of his journey is, well, David, at times was a pretty horrible dude. (laughs) And at times he was a pretty mighty man of God. Whoever wrote it, they certainly had a divine faith because no matter what they went through, they were able to write these words. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Verse 5, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues to all generations or what it says here. Be thankful to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. It's all good to get up here and say this, and maybe you think it's all good for the preacher to stand up there with his microphone and declare those good things. But what happens when our country's on fire, it becomes a lot harder to declare, for the Lord is good. When we feel the weight of our own sin, and we see how easy it is to judge others, whether that be the person sitting next to you or a politician or, or a pastor. Is it really easy to say his mercy is everlasting? 
Or when we hear so much trouble and we hear so much confusion and we hear the world arguing over the very tenets of our belief, can we really have faith that His truth endures? What should we do? Why should we put our trust and hope in God? It seems like the world's a mess. In 2020, where should we put our faith and where can we find our faith? Because the start of 2020 so far would seem like it's pretty hard. But I hope by the end of this sermon, you can see that as hard as it is, we can be divinely persuaded in the goodness of God. We can be divinely persuaded in His Word and we can be divinely persuaded in what He's going to do in our lives. I was just out at Belang. I, I thought I'd take a day trip. What you guys were doing out at Belang was so unbelievably good. I tell you what, the community out there was absolutely amazing and uh, I, I, I really hope to be more involved in the future. And um, on a... Yeah, on a... Nathan and, and Kira Lee, uh, just seeing you in that environment and seeing your leadership and seeing all those sorts of things, I, I so believe that you're called to that place and I so believe that good is coming from that and fruit is flowing and thank you for doing that work and thank you for being sent and uh, thank you to all the team who went with them but uh, it was so awesome to see the good work was happening. But Uncle Russ, the pastor out there, he got up on the night that I was there when they were doing their devotions and we prayed for him. And in Taree, obviously they've been devastated by the fires. And as I was driving it, you know, you get to a certain point and then you see the devastation. You see the, the black trees and you see just endless amounts of, of burnt, essentially. But Uncle Russ got up and he said this profound thing, a man who lives in this community, a man who is probably devastated by these fires. And he said, even now, he goes and he drives down that road where all the trees are burnt and he can start to see the green offshoots coming off the trees. And as terrible as it looks, new life is coming. And I thought it's easy for me living on the central coast where I'm not immediately affected by the fires, you know, to be like, oh yeah, good's gonna come. But for a man whose community's been truly devastated by these fires, to see the green offshoots from the trees and have faith in what's to come, that is amazing. When I was about nine years old, God, God is good. We can declare God is good. When I was nine years old, I was, uh, I was probably too old to get a coloring in book, but in my, the church I grew up in, I, I was one of these children I had my coloring in pack. I was sitting, you know, our kids, we, our kids sit over here in this corner, but I probably had to sit with my parents because if not, I was probably gonna be naughty. So I was somewhere sitting with my parents doing my coloring in pack. And the person preaching um, at that point in time at the, uh, on that day was the school principal because there was a Lutheran, it was a local Lutheran high school. And in the middle of his sermon, and I'm sitting down here just coloring in, coloring in, coloring in, coloring in, coloring in, and he stopped mid-sermon and he stopped and he just stared as a school principal. Completely off topic. He just went, how good is this that the next generation is sitting in church? And he was like, you know, Lewis, I believe in your future. Completely off topic. And to our kids... These kids over here coloring in and our coloring in books. I truly believe that his truth endures to all generations. 
in a world where people are arguing about faith and arguing about everything and it seems impossible, over here is sitting the next generation. I don't know if you saw them sitting along the front, but there's a lot of them. They are the future of our church. Truth is getting imparted into their hearts. We did a baby dedication, a a child dedication today. Absolutely amazing because truth is enduring to all generations. I'm so hopeful for the future. Even when everything looks messy, I'm so glad that we have colouring impacts and that our children can be with us today. Because as I look down, I go, well, the youth ministry's got at least another, what, 18 years in it. (laughs) Three things that we can have faith in. Number one, we can have faith in the Word. The Word is becoming increasingly, this is, I don't know, if there's any physios who can tell me if this is a bad idea or not. I'll be fine, won't I? Oh no, someone's shaking their head, so I'll, I'll use my bad head, I'll give my good head. Um, <laughs> it's a bad idea, Nathan. That's right. Someone get the duct tape, let's tape this thing on. Uh, number one, we can have faith in our Word. You know, the word is becoming increasingly hard to read because um, as the technological age, it's, it's becoming, we open, it seems that we open our Bibles and we can open to a page um, and it can be so difficult. And I understand the difficulty because you might open up to a page that seems to contradict your own values. For example, if you were to open up the Old Testament and you open to a page of God doing a massacre through some city, you might think, what, what did I just read? What, how does that relate to my God? Or you might open up to a passage that really challenges you, you know, like forgiving someone, and you might have been through a situation where it's like, how could I possibly forgive? Why would my God make me forgive that? And you might open up that passage and it might be a real struggle. And when I'm speaking to young people, I was speaking to a young person just the other day, and I was trying to warn them, yes, read Genesis and Exodus, but as soon as you get to Leviticus, let's leave that till I'm sitting with you. And he was there and he said, love Genesis, loved Exodus, love all that stuff you preach about Jesus. But I tell you what, I tried to sit down with Leviticus and I got some questions. <laughs> What's all this stuff about the goat's blood? I'm like, okay, calm down, calm down, calm down. I warned you, I warned you. Our Bible gets hard to read. Our Bible gets even harder to read when the, when the media gets involved, when our world gets involved, when people start to tell you that what you believe is useless, then it gets real hard to believe. There's promises in the Word. As we read it, we see promises of God's goodness. And as I said, we look around and the world's on fire. How can we possibly believe that God is good? But I want to tell you that I truly believe that this word is powerful. Maybe you're sitting in this room and, and Christianity's you, you didn't grow up in it and we hold this Bible up and we say all the truth is in here, have a read, and you might think, well, how is that, how's that possible? I've only been alive 25 years and so many people have so much more wisdom than me and every time I go to a nursing home or every time I speak to someone who's older and every time I speak to, you know, the first thing they always tell me is to read the Word and trust in what it says and have faith in the goodness of God that's expressed through this book. If it's through our faith in Jesus Christ that saves us, then I truly believe that every part of this leads and points to Jesus Christ even the hard bits. 
if I have enough time to sit down with my friend who's leading through Leviticus, I can show how that book talks about sacrifice and that Jesus eventually became our sacrifice. Because it all points to Jesus. If you want to have a, a deeper, stronger, better faith in Jesus, the best way to do is to read this book. There's millions of leadership books. There's millions of Christian books. There's millions of books you can read. But this is the book that we always need to come back to. It's a book that's lasted for thousands of years. It's a book that has so much wisdom and truth. It's a book that we all preach from. This book is so important. Don't be swayed by the world. Yes, we can interpret it differently and there's freedom in that. There's a lot of stuff we don't know just from a practical standpoint. But if you're looking for the truth of life and eternity in Jesus Christ, this book has the answers. And part of me wishes I could just stand up here and read passages from it, but it's not that hard. The scripture I've got is Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now in context, this passage is actually, it's almost a warning to preachers. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And essentially Paul is saying, so if you're a preacher, if you're a guy out there who's sharing the gospel, if you're in your world sharing the gospel, you better do it right because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when you're holding the word of God, you better take it seriously. That's sort of the context of this because the word of God should be taken seriously and we should hold it white and it does have the answers and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by this book. It's really hard as a preacher because I know, there's so many, I know there's so many people that would have so many arguments against this book, but all I can do is I can get up here and I can say, oh, I've seen people's lives changed by this book. And if you'll just open it and read it, it will change your life. And that's about the best I can... That's about the best I can say in the short amount of time I have. Please open the book. If you're a youth, if you're a youth, if you're youth aged, open the book. Read it. At my Bible study, I always say, take everything I said with a grain of salt, go home and read it for yourself. Because I might have got it wrong. And it's true. Everything I say this morning, go home and read it for yourself. Look up Romans 10:17. Make sure I said it right. Make sure I put it in its right context. Make sure I'm doing it because the word is important. Open the book. Number two, we can have faith in the church. Before, when I was trying to put on my life jacket, I needed my brothers to help me. <laughs> church is a good place to be. Sometimes church can be a hard place to be. Church can feel, you know, I often talk to young people and if we're just being real and honest, they'll say, you know what, church is the place I feel most judged. That sucks. That really sucks. And I wish I could get up here and I could say, let's all be nicer. Let's not be judgmental. Let's fix the way we do things so that people walk in here and it's not the place they feel most judged. But the truth is I'm a human being and I stuff up a lot and sometimes people are even offended by me. And I apologize if you've ever walked in this church and I haven't said hello or I've said something wrong and you feel judged by me. The truth is I love you a lot. And I'm sure you're the same. I'm sure we all have the best intentions, but we come into this place and it can be hard and it can be difficult. Despite the hardness and the difficulty, 
I've had so much more good come from the church than I've had bad come from the church. And I think that I've been through some really tough, difficult times. But even, it, it, it's amazing how in this church and having faith in the people in this church, how many free meals I've gotten. <laughs> if you want to get people saved into church, feed them. It's amazing how many deep conversations I've had with my brothers and sisters about the goodness of God and been encouraged. With times that I've had to sit back and go, oh, and I've been encouraged. When I've gotten to the end of a youth night and felt down or I felt like, I felt like it didn't go as well as I was planning and I've been able to sit and talk with people and been able to talk it through and it's, you know, find where God was moving in the midst of all the things that I thought went wrong. In this church, it's amazing how many times I've needed someone to help me zip up my life jacket especially last week when we all went to the waterfront and part of our church service was riding a jet ski. It's amazing how many times, you know, despite it all, you have to have faith in this church. And the reason is because my next scripture, Romans 1, 11, it says this, I long to see you that I might impart some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I might be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. One of the reasons I love to preach, this pretty much sums it up because I feel like, well, actually, I wouldn't even say just preach in a church context, but I like to think everywhere I walk, whether it's at a poetry night, whether it's at church, whether it's going into a local high school, I like to think that I am there. I long to see those people, to speak to those people, that I might impart some spiritual gift, impart some spirit. That is that, I, that we might be mutually encouraged, mutually, 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 that sounds wrong, mutually. Is that right? Mutually. Sounds like a breakfast cereal, eat you mutually. <laughs> we might be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I can get up here and I can try and encourage you in your faith, but the truth is when it comes down to it, I need just as much encouragement from you. I love when I speak to Charlie Herkus and he encourages me. I love when I speak to Maddie. And I, I hope, I hope I'm a good influence in Matt's life, <laughs> but Maddie. But when Maddie speaks to me, I'm just as encouraged. Church is very important. We need this so that we can mutually encourage each other. Three. Most importantly, we need to have faith in God and what God can do. The scripture I've got for this one is Hebrews 11:1. 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We can't always see what God is doing and how God is moving, but he is, and faith is this confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I've got up here and I've told you three things that we should have faith in in 2020. But you might look back and say, okay, well, that's all well and good to tell us. Oh, have faith in this, have faith in this, have faith in this. Read your Bible, be part of a church community and trust God. And you might be sitting there and you might look at me and you might say, I've heard it all before. You might say, it's all good for you, Lewis. You've got all this abundance of faith. You reckon you have some sort of faith, spiritual gift. You reckon you've got it, no matter even if you break your arm, but you, you just broke your arm, but you don't know the brokenness of my heart you just broke your arm you don't know the brokenness of my health you just broke your arm you don't know the brokenness of my family you just how can you possibly that is a good point 
The truth is though, you don't need an abundance of faith. All you need is faith as small as a mustard seed. Here's a Van Gogh painting. Don't know the full title of the Van Gogh painting, but this is a mulberry tree. In Luke 17, Jesus talks about faith as small as a mustard seed. He says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and fall into the sea. You can imagine them all sitting around. They're sitting by the ocean. There's a mulberry tree. And they're all arguing about how to have faith. And they're talking about the topic of forgiveness. Jesus is like, you know, you've got you to gotta forgive people lots and lots and lots and lots and lots. And the disciples roll their eyes and they're like, oh, then increase our faith because forgiveness is hard. And Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea. As someone who likes to speak, I thought I'd go and research mulberry trees. I found a website that said 10 crazy facts about mulberry trees. Do you know what fact number four was? Mulberries can be eaten raw or as a jam. And I thought, what? If the internet's telling me that that is a crazy fact, I don't trust a thing the internet says. God, I fell for the clickbait. The mulberry tree, turns out, <laughs> there's almost nothing special about it. I was really hoping I'd research the mulberry tree, and I was hoping that it would say that the mulberry tree was the largest tree. But the mulberry tree isn't the largest tree. The giant Senequia is. can grow 83 metres tall, and such a wide base, it ends up being the heaviest tree. And then I could get up here and I could preach, and I could say, Jesus says you could say to the largest tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea. So even if you're facing the largest problem, but the mulberry tree isn't the largest tree, so I can't preach like that. I thought, okay, maybe the mulberry tree has the strongest roots, like it's the hardest to uproot. So I could get up here and I could preach, no matter how deep your problem is or how long it's been going, the, all your problem and the roots are so deep and it doesn't matter because if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can even uproot that tree, with the, but it doesn't. That's the oak tree. The mulberry tree just has a pretty standard root system. <laughs> oh, I thought it's the oldest tree. Maybe you've been facing this issue since the day you were born. Maybe you've been facing this problem right from, your, from a very young age and it stuck with you. And I could get up here and I could say, you know, the mulberry tree is the longest living tree. And even that tree can be uprooted with faith as small as it must be. But it's not the oldest tree. It lives actually a very short lifespan. And uh, the oldest tree is the bristlecone pine, over 5,000 years old. A mulberry tree is your normal, everyday tree. It's almost as if Jesus just turned his head and found the first tree he could. Why would he pick a normal, everyday tree? I tell you what, this sermon would be a lot better if the mulberry tree was interesting. But I think he picked a normal everyday tree because we as God's people often face normal everyday problems. Can I have the band up? Is that a thing? <laughs> normal everyday problems. 
in youth ministry, it's very important to remember, and I always remember this, that oftentimes we'll be talking to a youth member. Maybe that youth member's gone through a breakup and, they're, and they're, they're, they dated someone for three months and they broke up and they're absolutely destroyed by it. And as a youth pastor, it would be easy for me to roll my eyes and say, get over it. But one thing that's important to remember with people like youth is that although I might roll my eyes and say, get over it, that might be the hardest thing they've ever had to face in their life. And even though it's just a mulberry tree, it might feel like an oak tree. And maybe I fell off a jet ski and broke my hand. And maybe you roll your eyes and you get over it. But I tell you what, I'm right-handed. I can't ride my jet ski and I just spent all this money on it. (laughs) It's pretty hard. You know, let's be real and honest. I'm 25 and single and Josh and Sienna are engaged and getting married. Mm. Yeah, good for them. (laughs) Let's be real and honest. For someone like me, the hardest thing that I have to face is like a loneliness. And maybe to you that's a mulberry tree. It's like, get over it. I met my wife at 30. You'll be fine, Lewis. But you know, right now, that's the hardest thing I sort of have to face. Maybe for you it's bigger. Maybe it's relationship breakdown or, or maybe it's, it's terminal illness or maybe it's a real loved one that's part. And, and maybe that's your problem. Maybe that's the tree in your way. And that's just as serious too. But we all face mulberry trees. We all have things in our life that we wish would uproot, move and fall into the sea. Would my loneliness uproot, move and fall into the sea? Would my sickness uproot, move and fall into the sea? When I find it hard to read my Bible because of modern contextual reasoning, would that, would that barrier uproot and move into the sea? When I find it hard to attend my church, would that, when I wake up in the morning on Sunday and I just feel like I don't want to be there and I have to push myself to go and all that pain and, 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 and anxiety, would that uproot and move into the sea? When I'm worried about the next generation and I feel like I can't say that truth is moving to the generations because I look at the generations below and I go, they're a mess. Would that uproot and move into the sea? And we sit here and Lewis says, have faith in the word. Have faith in the church. Have faith in God. All you need is a mustard seed. That little bit. And I hope today that as I am speaking, you can find that little mustard seed of faith that whatever you're going through and whatever pain you're facing and whatever bushfire that's ravaging your way, that you can find that little mustard seed that might show you that even though these trees are burnt, there's green offshoots coming. Before Jesus talks about the mustard seed, the disciples say in Luke 17, I don't want to misquote it, so I'm going to try to find this one-handed. Matthew, we go right. 
John, we go right. Romans, we go left. Acts, we go left. John, we go left. Just had to do it in my head. <laughs> Wish I was better at that. Be more impressive. Luke 17. The apostles said to the Lord. The apostles said to Jesus. In verse five, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith faith there's a mustard seed inside of you and this morning as we sit I want to say to the Lord Lord increase my faith reveal the mustard seed faith inside of me that I might say to that mulberry tree be uprooted and planted in the sea increase my faith so We're gonna sing another song and we're gonna get God to increase our faith. We're gonna sing a song about the goodness of God and maybe you're going through some pretty tough times but we're gonna sing it anyway. Because when we sing with a mustard seed of faith and we declare the goodness of our God, then any mulberry tree can move. This church, mulberry trees are moving in 2020. Uh, My word from the Lord is, when I went to my prayer spot, is that all things would come to pass. There's things I'm believing for that I believe will come to pass in our church, in our youth ministry, in our services, in my own personal life, things will come to pass. I believe that for you as well. It would be a sermon in itself, but I've got a mustard seed of faith that would say to any mulberry tree, move. And for young people, tell you what, my heart breaks for some young people, but I tell you what, to the young people that are going through hard, damaging times, I would say to them, find that mustard seed, declare the goodness of God, have faith in the Word, read your Bible, have faith in your church, keep coming back no matter the situation, have faith in your God, because no matter what, if you fall off that jet ski, you're going to float, because although God's better than a life jacket, He's sort of like a life jacket. Let's all uh, close our eyes for one second. God, I thank You so much that You are with us today. I pray that in 2020, we would come into this year with a divine persuasion of your goodness, with a divine persuasion that your truth and mercy is everlasting, a divine persuasion that your truth endures to all the generations. God, would you increase our faith? Would you help us find the mustard seed within us that we might say to the mulberry trees, be uprooted and planted into the sea? And we do face hard times and that's part of our Christian walk. But in the end, we know that we'll spend eternity with you where there'll be no mulberry trees in our way. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.